Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members of the podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, and you expect fastballs. Um, I'm not going to talk about Purdue football last week because I, you know, it's it's fair. Um, spoiler makers is over, and that's okay. Two top five teams in one season. You had a hell of a season, and you know, hopefully David Bell will get some Heisman consideration. But Dylan Hughes, my curveball is. So we've been about four weeks into these new rules, these new foul rules, and I'm just going to ask. How have you liked the new basketball under the new foul rules? Dude, I am, I'm in heaven. Okay. So we were texting about this and we're going to talk about the Hornets today. Hornets Knicks, definitely the best game I've seen this year and maybe even leaking into last year. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much about the, I mean, it was, it was a great fourth quarter. I think the biggest thing was the fans. And this, that game, if you want to go back and watch that game, if you haven't watched it, like that crowd, that's why we need a crowd. Okay. Because I like Knicks games because no matter where they're playing, they're going to have a bunch of fans in the audience. So you just have a crowd going crazy all the time. And I mean, the OB Toppin dunk and then the, the Miles Bridges dunk within a minute, it was just so electric, but that whole game was just a, it was just a dirty, like aggressive game that no calls were, no fouls were called basically. Like it was, there was a lot of like, I would say there was probably 10 plays in that game last year would have been fouls, but the NBA is just letting it go. It's just so much better as a product when they don't blow a whistle every minute. Like there have been games like that this year, but I mean, if there's if there's fouls, you got to call fouls. But a lot of these touch fouls, they don't call. And it just makes the game so much better because, first of all, the players can't sit around complaining all the time because they can't. And some of them do. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of them are at the point where they, they don't expect calls because they're not they just know they're not going to get them. So they'll take some contact and they'll just go through and play the game and not complain. And it's just so fun because basketball is supposed to be a fast game. And whether you're watching live or you're watching on league pass, like we do where we can kind of uh, fast forward a little bit, it's just so much better when you can let the game naturally play out for, I don't know, three minutes straight without there being a ball stoppage and taking, taking some of these, these rule changes into putting them into place has made it so we can actually get basketball played for more than 30 seconds at a time. So it's, is a product. It's been so much more enjoyable. It has been. And I will say um, just as just the overall principle of like, you're right. Back and forth. Basketball is the way basketball is supposed to be played. And just frankly, it's so much better to watch this year. And it is getting a little chippier. I'll say 
like just in general, like we we saw the um, Jokic Morris thing last week. We saw, you know, the Miles Gobert kerfuffle um, skirmish, whatever you want to call that. It definitely wasn't a fight, um, like the hug fest. But we're starting to see things get a little more chippy, and I think that would be like maybe my only concern is like we gotta, you know, have a little bit of a middle ground here where you're calling some fouls, but you're not. <laughs> Like the free throw attempts are down significantly, but the fouls I think are pretty much identically the same. The only thing I would say is get rid of the fucking Euro foul. I'm sick of that shit. Like that is so annoying. You know, make it like if you foul with like less than four seconds on the shot clock at half court and the ref should be like totally willing, able to like have their own jurisdiction on this. You should get the, they should get the, the team that gets fouled should have two free throws and the ball. Because we need to get transition play back in the sport because that's where we have most of what's great about the sport back. But let's be real here, Dylan. They don't call clear paths anymore. They really don't. Like there was a foul in the um, Raptors Blazers game last night that would have that should have been called a clear path. Like they helped Gary Trent at half court. Like and Simon held him while he was running down the court and they didn't call a clear path. And it just is like you need to have some kind of variation of the clear path foul back because it's just, it's just ridiculous. But other than that, like that's a small complaint <laughs> compared because the basketball this year has just been fucking great. And like, it feels like I check in on a game and then a half hour goes by and I check in on it. It's like the actual, like two quarters have gone by and that never used to happen. Basketball games used to like routinely be like two and a half hours. Now they're like what two hours at most or not two hours, but like two fifteen at most. So the pace of the game has definitely improved in that aspect. Yeah. And the the take fouls or whatever they want to call them at the middle of the court, like the transition. Yeah, it's it's so bad. And it's odd. Like, and they're reviewing that. They're reviewing that. Like they I mean, it would be great if they could just put that in place this season. I don't know how their system works, because I know you got to collectively bargain every single thing. And I mean, I'm sure the I'm sure the CBA would be fine with that change. But if if they have to go through them for rules, I don't know. But that would be great if they could put it in now because that, yeah, that's the one thing it's slowing down. And this is a league that likes offense. So why, why get rid of that when some of the most exciting plays we have happen on transition? Like I was just talking about the OB top and dunk and, and that was not a, I mean, he was waiting up court. So like there wasn't even a chance to foul him really, but I'm like, you take plays like that out of the game and it's just not, not as nearly as fun to watch. And yeah, you have to significantly like punish teams for doing that. And I was thinking, I mean, I, I think two free throws in the ball is probably the way to go. I was wondering if just three free throws, like it's got to be something where it's more than two points because you have to make it. So this is because the reason you're doing that is because you're giving like, you don't want to give up the, the free dunk, right? That's why you make the foul. But if giving up the free dunk is actually a better alternative than to fouling, like it's gotta be something where the foul is going to give them more opportunities to score. So yeah, I think you take that out of the game. And I mean, I think we're set. Like I really, I don't really have many problems with other rules. I I just think the touch fouls have been the biggest problem and they got rid of that. So you don't have a bunch of James Harden, you know, just jumping completely out of his way to get fouled. Like we don't have that anymore. So getting rid of that and then, you know, getting a a better transition foul in place. That's, I think we're set after that. 
I think so too. Um, shout out to Goran Dragic and Lou Williams, who both will be out of the league after this year. And I don't think that's a coincidence because those two were living off of that for like the last couple of years now. But yeah, I really think the game's in a better place when you take up when guys can actually fight over screens and not be like have to worry about running into the guy stopping on a dime. And to be fair, like some of the times that is a foul, but it's like if you're sticking your ass out while you're doing it then that should not be a foul on the defender or it should be on the ground. Like, like them getting rid of the rip through too, the Kevin Durant rip through. That was one of like them making adjustments like that helps keep the game great. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Dylan. I was one of the guys who was like, Oh, the new way is fine. You know, I like the new system. I didn't like it. <laughs> I was lying to myself <laughs> and I'm glad we're back to this like physical form of basketball. Now where like the Cavs can play like, with scores from the mid nineties, <laughs> right? Their last two, their game yesterday was 39, 37 at halftime. <laughs> when was the last time you'd seen that? Like 2010. So shout out to the new rules. Um, we got to move on Dylan. And we didn't talk about this last week and we probably should have um, the Sarver stuff just real quick. Let's touch on that because we kind of neglected to touch on that last week. That's, that's my bad, but basically so there was a huge ESPN article that came out about Robert Sarver, like an hour after we recorded the uh, previous week's power hour. So like two weeks ago, and basically he's said a lot of racist stuff. He said a lot of said and did a lot of sexist stuff, created a toxic culture of like, where you couldn't go to HR because HR would basically be like, would hold it against you that you went to HR. And I don't, Dylan, let's just be, let's just ask this question real quick. (laughs) Would the league be a better place with no Robert Sarver? Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been saying really for a couple of years now that you get Sarver and James Dolan out of the league and we're pretty much set. But I will give credit to James Dolan that he's – it seems like with their new leadership in charge, he's kind of stepped out. And, I mean, it's working for them. They've been much better the past couple of years. But Sarver, like, first of all, he just looks like a guy that would cause problems, you know. He just – like, I don't know if squirrely is the right term, but, like, he just looks like – he's just a little, a little fragile guy. And when you give guys like that power, it's bound to be a problem. So I'm not surprised. And I don't like to judge a book by its cover, but listen, he's he's clearly earned the criticism. So, I mean, it's it's been weird kind of watching how this has unfolded because you have some of the Suns, like, executives that are like, well, if this is true, like, this is horrible and, like, we need to do an investigation – And then you have other executives like, oh, he's been a nice guy to me. I don't know anything. Like, it's kind of weird to see that divergence. I guess, you know, I try not to judge people too much with that because, man, it's really easy from a a bird's eye view, I guess, to say, oh, you need to stand up to what's wrong. But like people are always going to want to keep their job. So like I'm trying, I think no matter what side this comes out from, like you have to. I don't think you can listen to what the people like the people that defend him. I don't think you can give him them too much credence uh, because like they're going to say what, what's going to help them keep their job. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I guess anytime something like this happens, that's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been a long time coming. 
for something like this to happen. So, I mean, we had the stories a couple of years ago with the, the goats in the office and all that whole crazy, whatever. I forget right. most, I forget most of the details of that, but like, this is not a normal human being. And, um, you know, if he's treating people wrong, I mean, like the, I don't want to go into specific with details, but there's just some very troubling things that are happening. It seems like, or that are alleged. So I'm hoping the NBA kind of quickly moves on this. And based on that story, I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen pretty quick. Cause it seems like there's a lot of evidence kind of stacking up against him. So yeah, I mean, it's, for a Suns, like back a few years ago when that story came out, the Suns sucked, right? So no one cared. It's like, oh, yeah, the Suns are a mess. They just made the finals. So you can't really have a story like this lingering over your head. Like they've got to do something quick to figure this out. And, you know, hopefully it's mean Sarber kind of getting or being encouraged to sell the team because it's just it, it's it's been a long time coming. Yeah, and one of the, um, like, some of the allegations in there are really damning, and you could possibly be saying to yourself, well, maybe people are making this up. Well, Baxter Holmes, who reported the story, was really thorough about making sure he had multiple accounts from multiple people, because, you know, that's kind of the thing when you're doing anonymous sources, is you have to have a lot of them, right? Like, the more you have, the better (laughs) to corroborate a story, and he had a lot of them. He had 70 people who spoke to him. Right. He had a couple of people who put their names on stories like Earl Watson and Corliss Williams, Corliss Williams saying, excuse me. And but for the most part, they were anonymous sources, but they all put their names on the story. Like the more anonymous sources, the better. And I just don't see. And there's a lot of legal stuff that has to go through for this stuff to be, you know, you have to verify it with Sarver's lawyers. You have to, they can either no comment it or whatever. And if I'm just going to say, Dylan, you know, this is true. If, um, if this stuff wasn't true, Sarver would be suing ESPN right now. (laughs) So the fact that it's not that it's true or the fact that it's so thoroughly reported, I, I just tend to believe that all that stuff is true because otherwise ESPN would be getting sued out of their ass. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, someone like him, like if you want to lie with their name, you've got a hell of a, of a slander or libel, whatever. Um, slander is spoken. Yes. yes. That's, that's my IPI education coming through right there. Um, slander is spoken. So slander, you got, I guess it was written. So it would be liable actually. <laughs> well, they talk about it on TV too. So it's just a whole bed of discrimin or whatever. Uh, just disc- discrimination. Is that what's the word for Inc- it? Incrimination. I don't know. Maybe what's or the, like defamatory. What's the, yeah. Defamatory. Yeah. So defamation. Yeah. You would have a, just a huge defamation suit on your hands so, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's again, I think it's I think it's when not if with Sarver. Um, so, you know, hey, it, we talked about this before, last week. I think it was off pod about um, it was about succession, actually, and how like old old men, old billionaires. It's amazing that they just like fight for their stuff so long when they're like going to die soon. But it, it is, there's just something about power that, that gets people. And so I'm imagining he's going to fight pretty hard with this. 
but I mean, he's, he's fine. Like he's, he's going to walk off into the sunset, you know, not necessarily with, uh, with many supporters behind him, but he's, he's fine. Like, I, I hope he just gives in and is like, yes, I'll sell the team. You don't have to force me, but you know, Knowing how this has gone down in the past, I, I kind of have my doubts about that. His punishment will be to earn $2 billion on his way out the door. Um, if he if he sells, if he has to sell, the NBA might not make him sell. So, well, it's going to be probably a, a long investigation. So we'll see. Um, we'll update you as more stuff comes along. It's my mistake for uh, not getting us on that talk last week. But on much, much light, not lighter news, but on much more on the court pertinent news, I'll say, because uh, it's I don't know how to transition from that. But injury news and injury news. DeAndre Hunter sprained his wrist. He's going to be out for eight weeks. Dylan, this guy just can't catch a break. <laughs> like at a certain point, you just have to wonder, is he too injury prone? And he's up for an extension this offseason. I don't think he's going to get one. Yeah. In- injuries is like the one thing. It's like it, we were just talking about Zion before the pod. It's like. Listen, you're you're great on the floor, but if you play 40 games a year, like we can't commit, you know, 30 million a year to you or whatever. So it's it sucks because he's a guy we both like a lot. I mean, he's a guy that I think could become one of the better players in the league, but he's just got to stay on the floor. And like, do you do you remember what his injuries were last year? I feel like didn't wasn't wrist one of them last year too. I think it might have been. That sounds about right. I mean. I think it was a knee thing in the playoffs when he had to miss every game after the first round in total last year, he played 28 games of the regular season and playoffs his rookie year. He played, it looks like he played all the games except maybe like two or three, but the last two seasons, this one and last he's played a combined 39 games. <laughs> it's not great. I mean, this is a guy that needs to be on the court for his development and that's certainly not going to help you with a wrist injury. I mean, he's shooting 40% from the foul line. So, but 39% from three. So I don't know, maybe this is his right wrist. So he definitely had to get surgery on it. I mean, even if it's your left wrist, you have to get surgery on it. But I think that like Hunter is just going to be, it just sucks because he's such an intriguing young talent and they might really take off with him out and he might be the guy to go. Like we keep talking about one of these guys, young guys has to go. He might be the odd man out because Collins plays his position ostensibly. And then you have Reddish, Reddish, Herter, um, Bogdanovich, who if you want to play like Hunter position up, those guys are all there too. So he might end up being the odd man out because of these injuries. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I really do think that there's going to be a trade. And it's, it's either going to, like, for the Hawks, I think, man, Jalen Brown or Cat. Like, I think you could have either of them. And probably Cat is more likely because, first of all, the, the Wolves suck. And second of all, they're in a different conference. Like, I mean, the Hawks and Celtics, you would think they're going to be competitors for, like, the next five years. So, the likelihood of them trading really good players between each other, I don't think is very likely. Uh, I think it's pretty low likelihood, but I don't know. Like, I think they have the ammo to get either of those guys. And the Wolves don't care if Hunter is healthy this year, you know? Like, it actually would probably help them if he's not healthy. So, if you can do him, Capella, and Gallo or whatever, 
for Cat, I mean, I, I think that's a win-win for both sides. And when Hunter would come back, that's approximately January 14th. January 15th is basically when every player who wasn't like Malcolm Brogdon type situation could be traded. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's moved at the trade deadline, but yeah, it sucks for DeAndre. Um, he kind of took a step back, but the Hawks have had a really weird start to their season. So they beat the Bucks in the same game where he got hurt. <laughs> so, you know, silver lining for a six and nine team, but that's, it's unfortunate for them and unfortunate for Hunter, but on to good basketball teams, Dylan. We had three really good teams this week. We took the Raptors off the bad wheel because they're so good. So, but actually, I forgot. Let's go ahead and spin our wheel. Um, Dylan will be off next week. I will try to record a pod. If not, it's not the biggest deal in the world. We will not be doing, I will not be discussing these three teams next week, but we will be uh, talking in the future. And so what? Uh, that would be, would that be December already? <laughs> right. I believe Oh yeah. December 2nd, uh, December 3rd is when you'd be hearing from us next after this one, but that'll be okay. We'll talk. We'll have a lot of time for their game. So who do you want for the first spin on the wheel, Dylan? Um, well, I know I want Detroit on the bad wheel, but you know, I, I had a team I was thinking about and I forgot. Let me, I think it may have been East team. Was I mean, the New York Knicks. That was our first one. <laughs> Okay, that was one of the teams I didn't want to have, but I mean, you know, I, I'm i loving the Knicks because I think they're proving me right to start the season, but they're also proving me wrong in some ways. So I'm definitely, we we kind of watched them a decent amount so far. So I mean, I'm definitely intrigued to dive deeper. Well, I think, well, we and again, we always had the option to throw one of these back. Our second team was the Miami Heat. Okay. So do you want to spin the good wheel again and hope that maybe we get like a Western conference team instead of the Knicks? Yeah, I was, I'm fine doing those teams, but yeah, we've kind of been East heavy so far. So it probably would be good to get a West team. So let's just spin until we get a West team. Um, I took the heat off the wheel. So let's see, we got the Denver Nuggets. Oh, there's a West team. They're playing pretty well right now. So let's go ahead and take them off the wheel. So our first two teams for the week are the, oh, there's a lot more, there's more West teams on the bad wheel now than there are. <laughs> we kind of muddied those waters because the West is just much worse than the East is. So there's a better, pretty good chance we get a West team on this wheel. So let's see who we get on the bad wheel. We got the Detroit Pistons. So there you go. Got what you want. That's so, a good week. Yes, that'll be a good week the week after Thanksgiving to regroup on. So we got the got the Pistons, the Heat, and the Nuggets. That's actually a pretty good week. This league is really talented. So there is about – the bad wheel isn't so bad anymore, I'll say. <laughs> so on that note, let's get into our teams. And our first team is the Brooklyn Nets. They are currently 10-4, and four, good for third in the East <laughs> – behind the Washington Wizards and they're behind somebody else. I'm sure probably the Bulls because the Bulls have been on fire. Yeah. The Bulls, the Bulls and the Nets are tied for 10 and four and the, the Bulls beat the Nets like right before a week started. So that's, that's a tiebreaker right there. Um, but the, our week. So we had three games with the, the Nets this week. They beat the magic 123 to 90. 
They beat the Pelicans 120 to 112. Then they beat the Thunder 120 to 96. It sucks because they we actually if we waited one more day, we would have had Nets Warriors. <laughs> so that's our loss, but it's okay because we need to we need to prioritize our <laughs> we need to have our priorities. So but Dylan, I think where we gotta start with the Nets is James Harden. Um, He's having a little bit of a down year by his standards. He's down to 19.5 points a game up like 9.3 assists is down for him, but his usage is down. So that's about normal given his usage. And then his field goal percentage is down to 42% from the field, but 39% from three. And then most notably with James Harden, when people think of James Harden, they think of free throws. He is down to 5.4 free throw attempts a game. And he's at five turnovers a game, which actually is pretty, it's actually a lot given that's not even a two to one assist to turnover ratio at this point. But Dylan, to your eye, what is going on with James Harden? Do you think he'll be fine? Do you think that the rule changes are affecting him a whole lot? Or do you just think that he's 32 now and he's probably going to fall off, like have a normal NBA trajectory? I mean, yeah. So first of all, he's got a turnover percentage of about 20% which the translation of that is one of every five times that he has the ball, it's a turnover. So not, not great statistics there. I mean, it's tough to figure out. Like I do think the, the, the rule changes are impacting him because man, like think about Houston, James Harden. He was so good. Like he was an MVP candidate for like three or four years straight. And the Rockets were, you know, a really good team throughout that time. And Harden was like scoring champ every year or like up there. And a lot of people hated him. Like usually people don't hate players that are so good like James Harden as much as they did. And it's not that they hated him because he's like LeBron and he beats everyone. It's that he is boring to watch. And it was because he was getting to the line so much. And it's like, yeah, you can make the argument it's good basketball. But when the guy gets 15 of his 35 points at the free throw line, it's just not as it's not as impressive as like Steph Curry dropping 50 on all threes, you know, or someone like that. And I mean, you can tell that like. He's just he's got a I mean, he's always been good at creating space, right? But a lot of the benefit of the step back and all that was that the defender's always going to lean into that. So he would always get easy free throws. But now those calls aren't being made. So there's like two or three times a game, you know, where in the past he would easily get calls. He's not getting them. And, you know, as we were talking about in texting yesterday, it's not only impacting the fact that he's not getting as many points, but his free or his field goal percentage is going to be down because – when you miss a shot but you get fouled, they don't. It's not considered a shot. But when you miss a shot and it's not a foul, that's just a missed shot. So you may have like three to five shots a game that that used to be just taken out because they're free throws. Now they're just missed shots. So he, I think he's having to adjust to that, and, and I do think he's gotten better recently. But he still has had some tough games, like this Thunder game. I mean, he was plus 19. Like, it's not like he was bad, but like he was five of 13, one of eight from three, 16 points. Like this same game last year, he would have got 10 more free throws and it would have been fine. 
but he got five free throws in this game. You know, meanwhile, Kevin Durant gets 14. Durant is just more of a, I mean, you know, we talked about this earlier that the, the swipe through, like he definitely got people on that a lot, but he just plays inside more often. So he's going to naturally get fouled more. So he's a guy that's not really going to be hurt by these calls much, but Harden, who's pretty much purely an outside in player, like he really needs some of those foul calls to be so effective. And so far, I mean, it's showing that he's struggling and, I think it's fair to question whether age is a problem because, you know, I think he's relatively been healthy throughout his career, but he's definitely been dinged up and he's man. Like there's been a lot of seasons where he would play like almost all the games, if not all the games. And that just, that adds up like a lot of players nowadays, they're, they're sitting at least eight to 10 games a year just for rest and Harden has just not naturally been a guy that's done that. So you start adding up those games throughout, you know, four or five years, and it's like he's he's got a much heavier load. So I, I think he's just fighting through a lot right now, and that's why I think not having Kyrie is going to make his life so much more difficult because he's got to be the main guy now. I mean, Kevin Durant is obviously still there, but Kevin Durant is more of like a get-the-ball-and-shoot kind of guy. Like James Harden has to be the creator for everyone else. And he's, I mean, he's still fine at that. Like he's, you know, not having a problem getting the ball to anyone. He's still one of the better passers in the league, but as far as getting his own shot, it's, it's just something that he's having to work through. Yeah. And your point about Katie not needing the ball as much is spot on. Like Katie is just a like, this might be the best we've ever seen from Katie. And we'll talk, I think I'll just shoot this in now because I don't think we need to talk too much about him. Just like what he can do. He's so lethal off of catch and shoot. He's so lethal off of like two dribbles that he doesn't need to like have the ball in his hands for like a whole possession like Harden does. And I think Harden likes to pound, pound, pound. He likes to drive, you know, like maneuver. And he's great at all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But, and I think having KD as your second guy in that scenario, second, be in quotes but having KD as like your second guy helps in that scenario because you it lets James have the freedom to handle the ball and kind of like peruse his options and he's such a great passer still like and he's actually a good shooter like some of these guys that you know use the tricks to get to the foul line you know they weren't great shooters but Harden's like a career like 83% shooter on like tons of free throw attempts like tons and he's made more like almost 85% of them for his career. So that's pretty impressive. All things considered. I just think that if you take out the two big free throw attempts games, he's had, he had 19 free throw attempts against Indiana and he had 15 against um, new Orleans. He's gotten to the free throw line. His season high other than those two is six, (laughs) but this isn't like a, like I texted you this yesterday and I put this out on Twitter too. His free throw falling isn't like a new thing to this year. This isn't just the rule changes affecting him. He had a pretty precipitous drop last year. He was at 11.8 in 2020, at 7.4 in 2021, and then this year he's at 5.4. So if anything, this kind of tracks like as a like a three year trend because he's just not that guy anymore, and that's okay. He just needs to adjust his game, and I don't think I don't think he will. Like when you do something so successfully for so long, like he was a 10 year run of being the NBA's like the second best guard in the NBA. I don't think that's really a dispute. Like from 2000, 
like 12, 11, 12, or 2012, 13 to like 2020, 21. He was the second best guard in the NBA. And we were arguing last year when he was healthy that he was probably the best. So I think that he's going to adjust, but you understand why a guy who's been as successful as him for so long might not be inclined to adjust. Yeah, that's what's interesting is when you've done something well for so long, can you just adapt? And adapting when you really think about just success in in general, not just basketball, but really you see in sports, I think is most like materialized because you can actually see it over time where the, the people that adjust to whatever the modern environment is, they do best because life is not just one stagnant thing. Like it's something that's always changing and it's the same with sports. I mean, you look at like football, for example, there's, and I can't really think of a player off the top of my head, but there's a lot of players that they get older and the reason that they're able to play into their late thirties or mid thirties, at least is that they are able to adapt and they're able to change their play style based on what their body can do now. Because I mean, there's a lot of guys you get, you get slower when you get older, you lose that step. And it's like, how are you adapting to that? How are you able to, play well despite not having that anymore and like one guy I can think of was Dwight Freeney from the Colts I mean he was a guy that was like unstoppable early in his career as a pass rusher and as he got older he got a lot slower but he was just so skilled and he was able to figure out a way to beat these offensive linemen despite the fact that he wasn't as quick as he used to be and like there's just and he he hung out for a while like he had a good good pretty long career because of that and I mean, there's just, that's, that's what sports is. And that's what life is, is adapting and Harden has to adapt or he's going to take a major fall because if you're a guy that's shooting 42% from the field and turning the ball over five times a game, like it doesn't really matter what else you do. Like you're going to hurt your team on a lot of occasions. And for a team like the Nets that with this whole Kyrie thing, like they need him and in, in Katie to be awesome. And they can't leave anything on the table. And so far, KD's doing that, but Harden is not. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. And I mean, like I said with KD, <laughs> KD might end up winning MVP this year just because we haven't given him, you know, I say we, like we vote for the, the award. The media never voted him for MVP more than once, which is... Honestly, it's a travesty <laughs> because he's probably one of the 10 best players to ever play basketball. And he's only, I think he'll win MVP this year because the narrative will be on his side. You know, no Kyrie. Uh, Harden's falling off a cliff a little bit. Like Harden actually, this is kind of similar to the Heatles, right? Where, you know, Wade was great that first year and then he started to get hurt more and he started to fall off. Except the funny thing is, it's like in that scenario, LeBron was younger than Wade. In this scenario, Katie's older than Harden. So it's funny that the fall off is happening between the two of them where Harden's falling off and Katie's just getting better somehow at 33. I don't understand it. Like 20 so far through 14 games, 29.6, 8.4, 5.1 assists, 8.4 rebounds, 5.1 assists on 59. He's shooting 59% from the field. He's shooting 64% from two, 42% from three, 84% from the foul line on seven attempts a game, which would, I think, be as high since he left Oklahoma City. Like, this man is just unstoppable at this point, Dylan. He was like, 
they might win the East just on him, like being Kevin Durant alone. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we talked about him coming into last season because of the Achilles. And it's like, this is a seven foot person. It seems like Achilles treatment is getting better because every year someone tears their Achilles and it doesn't really kill them. Like it killed DeMarcus cousins, but First of all, that was like five years ago at this point. DeMarcus Cousins, I don't think he's ever been known as like a super hard worker off the court. So, you know, I don't know if he really put in the necessary rehab to overcome that. I mean, it definitely killed him. Like, he cannot jump anymore. (laughs) Um, But, like, there's some guys that have been able to overcome this. So, it seems like it's a 50-50 chance at this point. Like, and, and I guess probably a lot of it does go into rehab. And, you know, you were saying, because I was more I was more worried about than you, I think, because you were like, listen, Durant has really never relied on having great lower body ability anyway. So, like, does he really like, sure, it may slow him down a little bit, but is it going to kill his career? Probably not. And I mean, we're seeing that that's definitely the case, because, again, man, he's just getting he's getting the ball in the mid post or, you know, the elbow extended or whatever. And he's just popping up. And this is what he's done his whole career, but I think he's he's sunk into it even more now because, he, first of all, he knows it's unstoppable. But second, he probably knows it's best for his body to just park himself down there. And he's he can shoot over anyone because not only is he seven foot, he's got the wingspan of a fucking plane. So it's – and I think I've said this before and a lot of other people have that the only guy in the league that could realistically defend – KD is Giannis and even Giannis struggles with him. You know, as we saw in the playoffs last year that not that Giannis is on him all the time, but KD's just a fucking hard player to defend. And when it's all said and done, I think he's going to at worst be the second best offensive player of all time behind MJ. Like it's, it's, he's just so unstoppable as a scorer and he just – he knows how to get it. Like, that's really what it comes down to. And you give him the ball in the post, man. Like, this this Thunder game – and granted, he had 14 free throws, but 33 points on 17 shots. Like, for anyone that loves efficiency like me, I mean, you're, you're drooling at stat lines like that. Like, it's it, – it's going to be hard to beat this Nets team when he's firing on all cylinders like this. In that magic game, he had 30 points on 12 shots. <laughs> like he's just, it was, he was 11 for 12. Would you like to know what he is shooting from all mid range spots this year, Dylan, according to our friends at cleaning the glass? I would love to. 61% <laughs> on all mid range shots. He's taking 158 of them already. <laughs> like he's just unstoppable at this point. He's shooting 69% from 16 to 23 feet. <laughs> like this isn't supposed to be possible. You're not supposed to be this good at basketball, but he is. And again, he's probably going to win MVP this year because he deserves, he probably should have won more. <laughs> His, I, you were talking about subtle greatness earlier before the pod we were talking about it like on in terms of tv shows kevin durant is the definition of subtle greatness because this man has been doing this consistently for however many years now we i think we kind of forgot about him because of the you know after the achilles tear in the finals he just kind of went off the map a little bit but he's back full force um so awesome to watch him play 
Any other nets that caught your eye, Dylan? Um, I've liked what I've seen from Joe Harris a little so far. I LaMarcus Aldridge is like the crux of their second unit, and it kind of confuses me. Um, any other things that caught your eye from the nets? Yeah, I mean, Joe Harris has been really good for sure, which is good because he had some – last year was just kind of a weird year. Like, in the playoffs, he just kind of fell off the map. So, it's, it's, it's good to see him playing better. They're going to need him to be good. Um, yeah, Aldridge has been really good too. Which I, the whole the whole Alders thing still surprises me because like he was just retired and now he's like back to being a pretty good you know backup center. So I I don't know. I'm I still kind of wish Nicholas Claxton would get some play, but they're just really invested in this small lineup. I mean they're basically starting Blake Griffin at center a lot of games, which which works because Blake Griffin as like a as the pick and roll role man, I think is really good for them because obviously he's a great passer, but he's still really good inside too. So he kind of has that discretion where it's like, he's a smart enough player where it's like, okay, can I beat this guy and get an easy bucket at the rim? Or should I pass it off to one of our 15 great shooters that's on the perimeter, you know? So it really works well. And, and they do this with Bruce Brown too. Um, you know, Bruce Brown, obviously is my favorite player on this team. No one, no one should be surprised about that, but I just, it seems like he's even more involved in the pick and roll nowadays as the role man. Like I liked watching that last year and it seems like he doesn't even more now. It's like, he's out there every, every play setting a pick for somebody. It's just funny to watch, but he's, he's not, he's not as good at the rim as he was last year. Uh, I mean, he's not bad at the rim, but he has, I think he's taken a slight dip in efficiency. Like I forget the game. It may have been the Pelicans game where he, he just missed a couple easy layups. So, you know, but he's still, he's very good at like for someone, his size, he's very good at the rim. Um, He sets good screens and like that stuff matters. Like no one, no one ever is going to talk about Bruce Brown because he's Bruce Brown, but I really I really just think he he plays a vital role on this team because he does that dirty work. He sets screens for Harden and KD, and he'll make a you know an easy play at the rim. And obviously, he's pretty active on defense. So I like the I just like the flow of of their starting lineup right now and their bench. I mean, man, Patty Mills. We're coming off a great Patty Mills game, nine of twelve from three. Like this is why this is why they got him. I mean, he, he's so good. <laughs> the Thunder announcer, I don't know the names of those people, but one of the guys was like, you don't get any relief with this team because Joe Harris got hurt pretty early on, and then you just got to go deal with Patty Mills now. And, and keep in mind, this is without Kyrie. Like, this team is still so stacked, even without Kyrie. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I kind of like the scrap of their, their bench. I mean, Aldridge and Patty Mills alone – is pretty good, but you know, Benbury is, is Benbury. Like he's going to do, he's going to do that dirty work as well. So he's, he's kind of gotten some minutes lately. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, they're, they're like still a really good team and they're still really deep. And I still would love to see something happen with Kyrie, whether he comes back um, or whether they make a trade. Because if they can do either of those things, this team is pretty much unstoppable. But it almost makes for a more interesting storyline without him. 
because it's like can Harden and KD do it on their own. Um, so we'll see. I, I like their team right now, but it, it's definitely uh, something to to keep in the back of your mind. Definitely is. I don't want to spend too much time on Kyrie because I feel like we talked about him a lot <laughs> in the offseason. And I don't know if he's going to come back and play. Um, the newly elected mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, said he was not lifting the city's uh, indoor vaccine mandate. So he will not be playing in Brooklyn for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, it's just it's a rough situation for everybody involved. Um and I don't, again, I'm not trying to dwell on the Kyrie situation here, but Patty is doing Patty things where he's just running around, you know, causing mayhem, which is an element this team needs because let's face it, running your team. I think the Patty and LaMarcus chemistry having already been established in San Antonio is really good for them. Um, they have that kind of like inbred, like inbred. Oh my God, that's such a terrible word choice. Um, like such, you know, such in-depth knowledge of each other's games. And I think that that's really good for them. Um, Millsap isn't looking great. <laughs> we kind of knew he was our pretty bad in Denver, but this is kind of cementing the case. He's only playing 10 minutes a game there. Um, Javon Carter's looked really nice. I really liked what I've seen from him. He's pulling, he's doing pull-up threes. I didn't think I'd ever see from Javon Carter. Um, only shooting 30% from three right now, but let's see what he's shooting from the corners. Cause that's what really matters with him. That's 17% from the corners, but only on six attempts. So if he gets that three falling, I could see him settling in the rotation. And then, yeah, that's pretty much everything I have on the nets. I mean, I think they're going to win like 50, 50 to 55 games. And I think they're going to be a really solid. They're going to be like one of the favorites in the East. Anything else you have to add about the nets Dylan, before we move on to the next team? No, I mean, aside from uh, I like watching Cam Thomas come for like the last four minutes of every game and just jack up shots like he he's like a I mean, he's not going to play this year and maybe even next year, but he uh, he definitely is a go get it type of scorer. So I he's like a fun garbage time guy to watch. Definitely is. So who would you like to talk about next? They'll use the Charlotte Hornets or the Toronto Raptors. Um, let's do Charlotte. New Charlotte. So they are currently eight and seven good for eighth in the Eastern conference. And there's a lot of teams in that, like three, it's like the four to 14 range. So it's going to be a little jumbled for the next couple of weeks. Actually, by the time we come back next, it might, we might have a little more clarity on the standings, but the Hornets had a pretty good week. They were three and oh, they beat the Memphis Grizzlies one eighteen to one Oh eight. They beat the Knicks one Oh four to 96 on uh, Friday night, which a game Dylan was talking about earlier. And then they beat the Warriors on Sunday, 106 to 102, and a bounce back win they needed because the Warriors killed them. They were on like a rough road stretch there. They lost to the Cavs. They lost. They were in like a five-game losing streak coming into the week. <laughs> so they needed all those wins. So, Dylan, what's your first takeaway about the Charlotte Hornets? Well... I think it, like this team is relying on Lamelo less than I expected. I mean, Lamelo is still very good, but like this Knicks game, he was four of thirteen, and granted, he still had eighteen or twelve, seventeen, nine, and five, and a block. So like he's filling out the stat line, but I mean, there's been a lot of guys coming through. Like Gordon Hayward's been very good. I mean, Gordon Hayward is just kind of – I think he's playing the role that he should have in Boston but just never really did of of kind of just like almost delegating 
he kind of just like gets the ball and is like, okay, should I pass it to this guy or should I just go to the rim? And it's almost like what I was talking about with Blake Griffin, except obviously a much bigger role, but like, he's just kind of like the, he's like the supervisor for this team almost like he's, he's like the old vet that's, that just knows what he's doing. And, you know, he's going to make the right play pretty much every time. Um, so that's, that's really nice to see, especially after he got hurt last year. Um, Miles Bridges has just exploded. I mean, he's become very consistent. Like consistency was his problem last year. Like we could see the spark, but we didn't see it every game. And I think part of the reason is because he was coming off the bench to get him out. But now he's just like, he's here. I mean, he's exploded onto the scene. Like he's, he's a pretty much a three level scorer at this point. Like he's a good passer. Like he, he pretty much does everything to uh, maybe not a great level, but a good level at least. And he's become a pretty consistent scorer. And my favorite guy as of late has been Terry Rozier. I mean, Terry Rozier in that, in that Warriors game, he had a huge second half. He was basically the guy that willed them to that win. I mean, he is just so good. He's, he's definitely a three level scorer where like he can hit a huge three free. He can get to the rim. He can get a couple of foul shots. Like he's just a, he's a great compliment to LaMelo. I think Because I mean, I don't think Terry Rozier really should ever be like your lead point guard as a, like a, like he's a, he's a fine passer, but like he definitely is much more of a natural scorer and playing next to LaMelo and Hayward, he's able to just get the shots he wants. So I think the, the roles are really kind of, they're, they're figuring out the, the best roles for everyone on this team. And it seems like Hayward and LaMelo are kind of the lead guys. And then Rozier and Bridges, they just pour in all the points and it's, it's working to this point. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I really, Rozier's had a pretty rough start to the season. He's definitely not been as good as he was last year, but he was dealing with some injury stuff to start the year. He didn't play in like four of the first, he didn't play in five of the first six games. So in the one he did play, he played 22 minutes. So he's not been great to start the year, but that's okay. Cause he hasn't needed to be, cause he brought up miles bridges who is averaging 21 and a half points a game on 45% shooting and 34% from three. I did some math earlier in the day, Dylan, his last, but I think it's his last 32 games. He has been averaging 20.7 points a game. And that's going back to last year. And what happened in the last 17 games of last year is that, Gordon Hayward went out and he got thrust into the starting lineup because he wasn't starting most of last year, like you said. And he's been pretty consistent since he started began starting and had a more consistent role. And this dude's just everywhere on both sides of the ball. I love the way he plays. He's a dynamo on offense. And on defense, he's all over the place. He's averaging right now, it's 1.7 steals and 0.9 blocks a game. He just it feels like he's everywhere. Um, he's got a pretty long wingspan. I think he's got like a six nine wingspan for a six six guy. So he kind of makes up for some of his size deficiency at power forward there, which is what he plays. And you describe you made the point I wanted to make with Gordon Hayward. Like he's just a connector. Everything they do goes through him. He's their best player, and he's not like making a huge show of it. He's like, okay. I'm going to stand in the corner sometimes because Lamella needs to cook. Miles needs to cook. Terry needs to cook. But when I get the ball, it's going to the right place. Either it's going in the basket because he's on fire right now. He's shooting 48% from the field and 44% from three, or 
it's going to the right guy and he's averaging four assists a game. And it just it feels like he never makes the wrong decision, which is so huge for a team like this. Like they just need that veteran stabilizing force. Like when he's on the court, they have like a, they're like a 44 win team when he's not on the court. <laughs> it's disaster. Like last year, I think they finished. So last year they were 20, four and 20 with him in the lineup. And I think they finished 33 and 39 do your own math there, but that's nine wins without Gordon Hayward. (laughs) So that's nine and 19 by my count. So it's just when he's in the lineup, he just makes things work and it takes some of the pressure off LaMelo because LaMelo is going to be the franchise. He's really good right now, but I think Chris Vernon made a point on his podcast. So I think he was saying this about job, but you'll see how I relate this to LaMelo. Like your first year, you know, you're great because nobody has ever seen you before. You know, you're kind of new phenomenon in the league. Your second year, you figure things out. Like teams figure you out in a sense. Like you're, you're basically, you're not a young guy anymore. (laughs) Or you're not like a, a phenom anymore. Like teams have got tape on you, whatever. Your third year is when you add stuff. Like the best point guards, they add stuff and they become like, great players like Derek Rose in his third year, Russell Westbrook in his third year um, on and on the list goes like Ja this year <laughs> has seemed to figure it out. And Lamelo's in his second year and he's like, statistically he's putting up better numbers than he did last year. I think last year it was like, you know, 15, five and five this year, it's 19, seven and seven, but the, the shooting, the field goal percentage from two has gone down a lot and that's okay. Like he's gonna, I think he'll pick it back up. Like his three point percentage is great right now. It's like a 39%, but there are games where he just shoots them out of the game. He's 20. It happens like, but the, it's the nice to have that, those veteran backbones of Rozier and Hayward to just have at your disposal for a young guy like this. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's fun about this team is you have that balance of the vets and the youth. So, I mean, I think, it seems like a lot of teams just like to go all in on one or the other. And I, I just, I don't know if I really like that because you need, you need like the young guys that obviously have the energy and like the charisma or whatever to, you know, do some crazy stuff uh, like Lamelo tries to a lot and like Bridges tries to, but you also need the, you need the caretakers, you know, you need, you need the Gordon Hayward and the Terry Rozier, the guys that they're just trying to make the right play most of the time. And I just, that's why I really like this, this mix of guys because I just think they all, they all match each other so well. They all fill each other's weaknesses or cover each other's weaknesses and and they complement each other's strengths. And of course you would love to see someone better at center. I mean, Plumlee is fine, but man, like I, we we were trying to work on who who could be their center last year, and we were kind of hoping it'd be Rishon Holmes or someone like that, and didn't really happen. So I still think that's a work in progress. But for now, the other four guys they have are just it works so well together that I mean it's it's been really fun to watch. Maybe if Carl Anthony Towns goes to Atlanta, we can we can send Clint Capella to to Charlotte. Maybe we could find a way to make that work. Hopefully. I actually think Ubre's and Plumlee's contract add up perfectly. And then you throw in PJ Washington or Jalen McDaniels or book Knight. They have actually a lot of young prospects that are intriguing. So I'll be curious to see maybe they could get on in on that sweepstakes. But here's the thing, Dylan, I think Plumlee is good for them. Even like 
just in his role because he's a ball mover and this team is just full of ball movers. Like they, they move the ball around really well. And like Plumley, you'll see him, you'll catch, he'll catch it on the short roll and then he'll flip it to the corner. Right. Or he'll catch it. He's, he's not great. Right. He's shooting 30% from the free throw line. He's only averaging six and five and only a block a game in 26 or sorry, in 27 minutes, I was reading Ubre's minutes there, but I mean, he's fine. Right. And that's kind of all they need at this point. Like they're going to have to upgrade at some point, either Kai Jones is going to have to explode or they're going to need to get like a guy like Capella or a guy like Nurkic or a guy like Holmes to, or Turner or someone like that. Like just someone in that skill range to elevate to the next level. But I, cause this team's defense is just atrocious and Plumlee <laughs> does not help with that. I'm going to pull up their defensive rating right now. They are, let's see. They are 24th in defensive rating right now. They're at 110.7 on cleaning the glass. And that's, that's, I mean, Dylan, just by the eye test, that looks about right. I mean, they are all over the place. They get a lot of steals. They're like fifth in the league in steals, but that doesn't matter when you're giving up a lot of points. And it just feels like the steals help, but I feel like this team just needs to, they need to anchor on defense and they don't have that right now. Yeah. And again, like they're fine. Like they have time to find that center, but it would be great to find him this year because they definitely need that anchor. And I do agree that Plumlee is good as a ball mover. And that's kind of what his role has always been on, you know, Portland and Denver. And I didn't watch him on Detroit really because I didn't feel like it. Um, But I'm imagining it was some of the same stuff. Like he's a good passer, but what else does he do? I mean, it seems like every week, it's like, oh, here's Mason Plumley getting dunked on again. I mean, there's like a poster every single week that we get. So they definitely need some more of that because, I mean, their size has kind of been a problem for two years in a row now where last year they were playing P.J. Washington at the five a lot. And, you know, we like P.J. Washington, but he's probably not the best starting five uh, at this point in his career. So they definitely need to figure something out and – they just really don't play big ever. Like they play Nick Richards, like a handful of minutes every game. And that's just it. Like they don't really have much of another plan. And, you know, PJ Washington not being out there probably impacts that as well. But that's one thing to keep an eye on. And like, I'm going to have to start, start looking around the league and thinking of like more realistic trade targets, because obviously if Cat gets moved, that's an opportunity where they can sneak in and get a three-team deal. But is there anyone else in the league that that could use an upgrade? Like, watching the Pelicans this week, I I want to like Jackson Hayes. because, And I think he would be good for this team, like, in theory, because obviously he's massive, he's a great role man, and he's, you know, a good shot blocker. But, God, watching the Pelicans, it's like – does he, does he need the perfect environment to be good? That kind of worries me. And maybe Charlotte is the perfect environment, but they have, like, this year and last, the Pelicans have not really prioritized getting the ball to Jackson Hayes much. Like, he kind of just gets lucky on rebounds or something. Like, there's not really ever any lobs thrown to him. And there would definitely be lobs thrown to him on this team, but, I mean, that would be a decent, like, 
buy low kind of flyer for them, but I feel like maybe they would want to get someone better than that. Well, and you have a guy like that on your roster that you just drafted in Kai Jones. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that would how that would work necessarily. I pulled up the uh, Bridges at center numbers on cleaning the glass because I was curious. They're plus 7.9 in 175 possessions. And this early in the season, that's a pretty, I'd say a pretty significant sample size because they're most used lineup right now. Um, I'm going to clear the filter real quick. So excuse me. Um, there we go. So their most used lineup right now has taken a second to refresh. I'm sorry. I know this is riveting podcasting. Their most used lineup is their starting five and it has 274 possessions. Then the next most used lineup is 180. So in this point of the season, 175 possessions is like a 10th of your team's possessions. So having him at center is a really intriguing lineup. And I think that's how they'll close games a lot with Ubre out there. Who's been great, by the way, Ubre has been like the warrior system just wasn't for him. Like he's been great in Charlotte so far. He had that 30, who do you have 37 against? Was that the, it wasn't the warriors. It had to, who was the other team that played this week? He had 37, one of those, he had 37 against the Grizzlies and he just wasn't missing. <laughs> and he's been great off the bench for them. Um, we really like McDaniels. We really like, I really like Cody Martin. I think I'm a big fan of both of the Martin twins. I think Cody's always been better. I, I could never tell which is which I always have to look at the Jersey number. Um, but Cody, I've always liked more than Caleb, but I really like this team. And I think if like, if they want to go all in, like in the next two years, they can like, they might have the stuff to like, Maybe get to a conference finals. I'm not sure. It might be like I might be jumping the gun a little there, but the jump Bridges has taken and the way Lamelo's trajectory is going to be, they have a really bright future. Yeah, I mean, there's still some upside with with Bridges and Lamelo, and we haven't really seen much from Book Knight yet either. So that's that's obviously an opportunity for some more upside too because. Their bench is not super impressive, but again, when you have injuries like that, it's when you have two of your young guys not playing, like that's something that's not going to (laughs) help. And I'm kind of surprised that Ish Smith is just like not really playing. It seems like that's just like a coach's decision, which surprises me a little bit because, listen, I don't love Ish Smith, but like he knows what he's doing. You know, like you can put him out there and like he's going to get some buckets and make some passes like he's not a terrible backup point guard, um, but they've just kind of rolled with what they've had. And yeah, Ubre has been really good. I mean, in that Knicks game, he was four of 13 from the field, but like the four shots he hit were massive. Like, I think he, he may have hit like two or three threes in a row. And I think that was in the second half. So he he really lit like a fire under their team, under the team. And they, they really feed off each other. Something I've noticed too. And again, like maybe it was just that Knicks game, but the, the crowd in Charlotte, I think is kind of underrated. Like it it seems like they really get into this team and it's a fun team. So I get it. Like when Kelly Oubre knocks a three or two down, uh, I mean, he, their whole team goes off and like Kelly Oubre, I feel like has always been a player that kind of feeds off of his own shot making. And I mean, I think every player does to some extent, but Kelly Oubre almost reminds me of J.R. Smith, where it's like once he knocks one down, it's good luck stopping him because he's got that confidence for tonight. 
And the next night he may go one of 10, but like tonight he's going off. So I do think he's a good fit for this team. And he, that, that signing didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But again, I was talking about this pre-pod, like Kelly Oubre is just one of those guys where you don't know what the hell you're getting. Like when he was in Washington, he was fine. Like he had some flashes. He went to Phoenix and he was just awesome. And like he had some stretches in Phoenix where he was like their best player. And that was when Devin Booker was on the team. So it's not like they just had a bunch of trash. And then he ends up in Golden State and he sucks. And now he's in Charlotte and he's awesome again. So he's got the skill set. I think it just depends on the system and the players around him. And he's he's been really good for them. And he's he's kind of like their only scoring option on the bench right now. So I think he, that's helping him kind of – he's like, just shoot whatever you want. And it's working out so far. Definitely is. I think that he um, – he was really great in Phoenix, like pulling up his stats from 2019-20. 19 points a game on 45% from the field. And in the previous season, when he was traded from Phoenix, from Washington to Phoenix, he was at 17 points a game. So it might, I think the Warrior system was just really bad for Kelly Oubre. Like he's not the kind of guy who's going to pass and then relocate, right? Like that's not his game. And that's fine. Like he's a shooter, <laughs> you know? And plus they didn't really have a training camp last year. Um, Draymond can be tough to play with. Um, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but if you're not, if you're struggling, I can't imagine that Draymond's fun to play with. Um, it's just, it seems a lot of circumstances are different in Charlotte than they are in, than they were in Golden State. And that's fine. You know, players, uh, I think fit matters a lot in the NBA, a lot more than I think people realize. And he's doing, he's playing great in Charlotte. And I'm really glad that he's bounced back like this because he was kind of a joke last year. And it's funny because he's averaging fewer points a game this year than he did in, <laughs> in Golden State. But we we both agree he's playing way better in Charlotte than he did in Golden State. So it's kind of funny how that works in the NBA. But that's how that's how it is sometimes. Um, any other Hornets? I feel like we got to talk about Jalen McDaniels. Like we have a particular fondness for the McDaniels clan that might only be rivaled by our friend Caleb Lynn. I mean. First Jaden last year, now Jalen this year. Jalen's getting some really significant minutes for this team, and I think he's he's been looking really good. Yeah, I mean, he was – I was talking about Rozier in this Warriors game, but McDaniels was really big at the end of this too. He only had six points, but, like, I think four of those came in the fourth quarter. Like, he, he had some big buckets. He had a couple of big rebounds. And, uh, I mean, obviously he's – just like his brother's a very good perimeter defender, so that, that always helps. But, yeah, like – He's one of those guys that, again, this is why I think it's so important to actually watch the games because it's like, oh, man, six points, five rebounds, one assist, one steal, like not that impressive. But it's just the timing of all that. Like he had such a important stretch for them where this was a close game and they had to kind of come back in the fourth quarter a little bit to seal this one out. And, I mean, he was a huge part of that. And, like, he's a very young guy, and he's still pretty raw. So it's it's nice to see him make some strides because he definitely showed some stuff last year, but he didn't really get a ton of opportunity. Like, you could see why they liked him, but he just wasn't really out there much. But now, again, with Washington not out there, he's just kind of stepped up, and he's been really good on both sides of the ball. And Again, he doesn't have to do too much on offense because he's such a good defender. But when he does show up, man, it it shows up. 
So, you know, one of the reasons I love cleaning the glass is because I think it's one of the best sites to back up the eye test. <laughs> and the lineup numbers in particular, I love their lineup numbers. In 322 possessions, the Charlotte Hornets are plus 6.5 when Jalen McDaniels is on the court. Not a whole lot of possessions. Like, it's like a fifth of their possessions. But he's when he's on the court, they have a 100.6 defensive rating. Like, that's really good. They're in the 91st percentile. Like, he's a really good defender. He and his brother both have tremendous defensive ability. And I think that that's one of their best traits. And I think that they're going to be NBA players for a long time because of it. But Jalen, like, Jalen and Jaden are just both really good on defense. And I'm I'm really impressed with how Jalen plays because I wasn't – I'm not – we didn't see him a whole lot last year. <laughs> like – he was playing garbage time in the play-in game. Yeah, play-in game. That's right. And he was not – he just wasn't a key part of their rotation last year, but I think P.J. Washington's injury has opened up a spot for him at the backup, like, four. Like, on cleaning the glass, has him listed as a two in some lineups. <laughs> so, he was guarding Steph on some of those possessions. Like, he comes out of the lineup guarding Steph, and I think it's so huge to have a guy like that who's so versatile. And he should probably, by the end of the season, be playing closer to 20 minutes a game. Like, I think he's going to be that vital of a piece going forward for them. And it makes a guy... I feel like I always shoot on this guy, and I don't mean to, because I like his game. B.J. Washington, I think, is kind of expendable at this point. Which will be good, because I think a lot of teams would like like a guy like B.J. Washington, who's 6'7", and can, is a decent at playing center. You put him next to... A guy, actually funny, if you played him next to Jalen McDaniels, I'd be curious to see how that went. But I don't know. I'd, we PJ Washington's only played seven games for this team. I think he's day-to-day right now. So he might be back at some point this week, might not. Well, who, who can really say at this point? But I'll be curious to see what happens when they have to reintegrate PJ Washington and because he's a really good player too. So <laughs> this team has a lot of good problems to have right now. And I think I'll be curious to see their trajectory going forward in the season. Um, any any other Hornets thoughts before we move on? I'm good. You're good. So let's, let's go ahead and move on to my Toronto Raptors. They are seven and eight, good for 10th in the Eastern Conference, which is a lot better than I, I think we both thought they'd. Oh, you were higher on them than I was. I'll give you credit for that. But four game week for the Raps, um, they went, lost to the Celtics. 104 to 88. They beat the 76ers 115 to 109. They lost to the Pistons without Fred Van Vliet 127 to 121. And then they lost to the Blazers 113, 118 to 113 last night. Um, this is just a weird team, Dylan. <laughs> like, I don't think there's really any other way to describe them. Um, OG's taking a lot of shots like we thought he would. Let me let me start there. I think we we admit when we're wrong a lot, right? I think that's one of our best traits as a basketball podcast is that we admit when we, we got something wrong. Let us take a victory lap here because I think both of us called OG taking this jump that he's taken, right? And just looking, he's only shooting 43% from the field right now, but he's taking 17 shots a game, averaging 20, 20 points a game. He's looked really good as a first option, Dylan. Like, and he's not going to be the first option of like a championship team, but I think he could be the first option of like a mid-tier, like a low playoffs slash high play in team. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think a lot, I think really it's, it's comfort is what I've noticed is that he looks so comfortable with the ball now. Cause I mean, when he was younger, he was kind of just like, a, I'm going to get open threes and like get some cuts, you know, like that was kind of his offense. And 
even last year, it was a lot of that too, you know, with Lowry still there, but now he's just like, he's dribbling really close to the rim a lot. Like he's, he's kind of everywhere. And I still think he's better when he's, you know, set up by the guards they have and, and all of that. But I mean, he, he looks so comfortable with the ball and I, I didn't get to watch last night's game. I'm going to have to go and watch it because 29 points, like this is stuff that we've been waiting for, you know, we've been waiting for him to put numbers like this up and he, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like he's just an all around awesome player. Like he's, he's kind of slowly figured everything out. I mean, it's almost, he, he's almost reminding me with the development a little bit like Kawhi where it's just starts off really slow and he's, he's very raw on offense, but he's got immense defensive tools. And if, if he can continue working on, you know, his isolation scoring and all that, man, he is going to be unstoppable. Sorry, I was muted there. I forgot to to talk about this earlier, but his first two games this year, he shot three of 17 and four of 17. Since then, he is shooting 46% from the field on 18 attempts a game, 30, 40% from three on 7.5 attempts. And this is over 13 games. This isn't just like, you know, a five game thing. We're at the point of the season now where we're starting to get some meat on these bones. And I think that OG has been like just consistently solid since, you know, the first two games, like obviously it's a little bit of an adjustment, but he's such a smart player that, and that's, I think our teams this week, all three of them have just a ton of really smart players between the three of them. And OG is one of them. And he just adapted really well. And he's been like last night, I didn't watch the full game and I missed most of his explosion because most of the points came in the first quarter, but 29 points, six of 10 shooting nine and 19 from the field. And he's tacking on a steal and a half a game. He's still really active on defense. I mean, this guy's giving you everything you want out of a basketball player right now. And I think that, I mean, most improved. <laughs> There's a lot of guys for most improved right now, including Miles Bridges. OG should probably be in that conversation because he took a massive leap between this year and last. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely like, and again, I, I think it was really just about getting some more opportunity and, you know, it's not to say that Lowry was in the way because Lowry has never been a, a player that has really gotten in the way of anyone. I mean, he's he's kind of gets out of the way. <laughs> so I don't I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it is just confidence um, because, man, like one thing I like about this team is that there's there's just like a very balanced like shot diet between everyone. I mean, like, if you look at last night, for example, like, OG led them in shots with 19, but Siakam had 15, Barnes had 14, Van Vliet 13, and Gary Trent 16. Like, there's – everyone's getting a lot of shots. But, I mean, he he's just really figured his game out, and he's, he's just gotten really good, um, obviously, handling the ball, but, like, just getting to the rim and, like, getting close to the rim and making plays. And – I just this I this is he's kind of an example of why I love Toronto's development because sometimes it sometimes it kind of takes some time to start showing up, but they start building the right habits like right away. And it's just interesting watching players that come in and out because the players that go there just always seem to be better there. I mean, like we're gonna talk about Gary Trent 
I mean, he is just killing it right now. And I think their system has a lot to do with that. So it's, it's been fun to watch OG's growth and I'm excited to watch him throughout the season against like the KDs of the world and the Giannis's and, and some of these really good, you know, big ball handlers that he's going to have to guard. I mean, we know what he can do on defense, but it's like, can you do it on defense and offense? Because Kawhi has really been the only one that has done that consistently. I think maybe Paul George has been second best. Uh, Jimmy Butler has obviously been up there too, but it's just hard for these guys to, to put it all on the line on defense and then go right on the other end and make a big bucket. That's kind of what I'm interested in seeing with OG next is can you make that leap? Because if you can make that leap, man, I mean, you're one of the best players in the league. Yeah, and they got a pretty interesting road trip coming up. Um, last night was the first game of it in Portland, where they don't really have any like strong wing defenders. But then you're going to Utah, which I guess the knock against them is that they have no strong wing defenders. Um, Sacramento, no strong wing defenders. His first real test, I will say, is going to be going to Golden State, then going to Memphis. Um, those two games will probably be tough back. To, like they're not back to back because one's on a Sunday, one's on a Wednesday. But I'll be curious to see how he handles those two games. And then next, they're closing their road trip against the Pacers, which they have Torrey Craig, who's probably a better defender than any other wing defender than any other other guys on those rosters. But they, the OG's growth is going to be something to monitor. Um, Fred Van Vliet, this dude is balling out. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit in terms like he's not going to ever win most improved. But from where he was in the league to where he is now shouldn't be possible. <laughs> Most the, you, It's hard to find a six-foot-tall undrafted guard out of Wichita who becomes, like, one of the best 50 players in the NBA. But that's what Fred is, and he's an elite defender. He's an elite shooter. He's what, like, a guy like Darius Garland should try, strive to become. And I think that Fred – I mean, just talk about what you've seen from Fred so far. Like, he's been amazing to me so far. Yeah, I think he, God, he is the perfect fit for this team because this is a very inside or outside in team, I guess it would be, where pretty much everyone on this team, except for Gary Trent and Fred Van Fleet, they're trying to get to the rim. I mean, Siakam is always pretty much hanging out over there. Like I said, Ananobi is is cutting to the rim a lot. Scotty Barnes, like that's that's where he lays down and sleeps tonight, man. Like he's... He's right next to that rim pretty much at all times. And what happens is is the defense collapses hard on that. And I forget what game it was this week. Let me see. It may have been the – oh, it was the Philly game, I think, where the Philly defense just collapsed in on that pretty much every play. And Van Vliet – I mean, Van Vliet had 32 points that game. Like, that's a good – like, he's just wide open for three all the time. Because the defense is like, man, we're either going to let these awesome, you know, very efficient rim scores just get whatever they want, or we're going to have some open shooters. So it's kind of like a pick your poison uh, with this team. And Van Fleet very much takes advantage of that. Like he's hanging out for three a bunch. And I mean, he's making a lot of them. Like he's, that's, you know, he's not always a good three-point shooter like he definitely has his his games where he sucks but there's a lot of games where when he's on man you're done like he's gonna kill you and he killed Philly in that game and he got the game winner as well but he's just so good and and I think the Darius Garland thing is interesting because 
Fred Van Vliet should not be a good defender. He should not. I mean, he has no, like he's small. He doesn't really have a great wingspan. Like he's not super quick. There's really no reason for him to be a good defender, but he, he's just so good with his hands and he's like aggressive in the right moments. And those, I mean, as a guard, like that's all you can do. If you get beat, you get beat and you hope that the guys behind you can pick it up. But I mean, really over the past couple of years, we've seen him just turn into one of the better guard defenders in the league. I think just because he's, he's so active and smart and yeah, Garland is, is interesting because Garland kind of came into the league the same way. Like, I think physically he's probably better prepared to be a defender than Van Fleet was. But again, defense is so much about effort. And if you can pick your spots right and make the right plays, I mean, you can turn into a really effective two-way player. So the Garland thing's interesting. And I'm definitely, we're going to talk about Cleveland hopefully pretty soon. They're a very interesting young team. But yeah, Van Fleet is killing it right now. And I, I love to see it. He really is. Um, shout out to him. Their backup point guard situation, though, is dire. Um, it's kind of like the Joel Embiid effect on the Sixers, where the plus minus, his plus minus is just outrageous because his replacement is so subpar. And this is no offense like Malachi Flynn. And it is a little bit of offense to Goran Dragic, who I've come at repeatedly the last couple of weeks. But his plus minus on cleaning the glass right now is 15.1. And that if you're just like looking at the eye test, that's about right. Because this team just doesn't have a suitable replacement for him. And it's hard, right? When you lose a guy like Lowry, you would have had like a suitable point guard on the court for 48 minutes a game. Now Fred is having to play 39, 40 minutes every single night. And I think that's not going to be good for him. They need to, as soon as the trade market opens up on December 15th, they need to go get a guy because (laughs) their backup point guard situation right now is just untenable. Like their point guard situation is untenable because, you know, with the MB thing, you could kind of pull that off because MB just is so dominant that they could just like the leads that they lost when MB was out of the game. It just like, you could make it up back again when Embiid checks back in, but it's like with Fred, with point guard, point guard's a more important position on offense because you just are like, you're losing that anchor of your offense. And Scotty's, Scotty Barnes is a really smart player, right? Pascal had a, almost like a triple double in that Pistons game, but they still lost because they didn't have their point guard. Yeah. I mean, the point guard thing is definitely tough. And I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Drogic like, for example, last night didn't play at all. I I don't know. I mean, getting like pretty much their entire starting lineup played 40 minutes. That's that's not going to work. Like they they definitely need to improve the depth. And hey, we were talking about the Wizards before the pod, how they've got to make some trades. And I don't know, like Aaron Holiday as a desperation backup point guard, like you don't love it. But it's better than nothing. Or even, hey, we're talking about Neto. Like, Neto on this team would be insane. I think Neto would would fit in really well with this team. And I don't know what it would cost them. Kind of, um, I, I have no idea what how old Neto is worth on the trade market, you know? Like, But he's he's like an interesting guy to think about where it's like, huh. Like, this is a guy that can shoot, good defender. I don't know. Maybe he fits in pretty well. So, yeah, right now... I think that's definitely their biggest hole. And if they can fill that hole, though, they can make a run. Not at, not at the finals or anything, but they can, make a, they can definitely make a run at, at the plan. 
here's an idea for you. There's a guy in Orlando who's not going to be starting because there's two guards ahead of him right now that have to start in Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony. Why not go out and trade for Markel Fultz? Why not save him from Orlando? Because he's not going to like get the same minutes he was before. Like He's priority number three now because Cole Anthony's been amazing so far for them. And you have to play Jalen Suggs because he's a top five pick. And as good as Markel was, he's your reclamation project, but you have to, like, there's not enough minutes there at the guard spot. So that's someone I would look into getting. Um, see if DJ Augustine has any juice left. That might not be the worst idea. He might, probably doesn't. But just someone like that, where like they're in purgatory basically and just try to free him. Like maybe Ty Jerome, who we talked about last week, he might be a good fit there. Just somebody, somebody who's not, because Goran's cooked. It, it, it just is. I think that's just a matter of the fact. And Goran's got a 19 million salary. So you could maybe attach like a first round pick and say, hey, we want to back, we want to, maybe you, you know, the Mavs are so desperate to get him. You get Powell and you get Jalen Brunson. Maybe something like that. I don't know. But something, maybe Jalen Brunson is shooting for the stars. But I think that they just need somebody who can shore up the bench units because Fred can't play 39 minutes a game and be healthy the whole season. He wasn't healthy last year. So, I just want to see Fred healthy because I want to see this team do well. I I like this team a whole lot. Um, Pascal Siakam. I think we'll save Scotty for last because I think he's the most interesting player. Pascal's look when this is the week he came back from his shoulder surgery. He's been kind of like on a minutes limit in a sense. I mean, he's played a lot, but he's sat a couple of games too. What have you seen from Pascal since he's came back from his injury? I mean, I think this is kind of what we were hoping would happen where they're just like, okay, fine. We'll play him at the five, you know? And it's, I think part of it is because they have no other option. Cause it's like, okay, we love Boucher, but the dude is skinny as hell and has no interior presence. And we like Ken Birch, but man, if he plays over 25 minutes a game, we're not going to win many games. So I think, I think it's kind of been something that they just needed to do. And, you know, we talked about this, I think a couple weeks ago that, there's just not a lot of teams in the East that are that big. We were talking about with the Celtics. That's what it was. It's like, you know, they could probably improve their size, but do they really have to? Because aside from Philly and Milwaukee and maybe Miami, even though I think Bam is like not a massive presence or anything, even though he's like, obviously he's a big guy and he's a great defender. But I mean, I think him and Siaka match up pretty evenly. So, you know, I, I think this is, is an interesting experiment where it's like, okay, like this is probably going to open up the offense so much that it's worth it. And it's, it's working so far. Like they're not, you know, they're not winning every game, obviously like this week. I mean, they've, they've lost five of their last six, but they, they lost to Brooklyn, Boston and, you know, Detroit and Portland aren't great losses I guess like Detroit obviously we like Detroit here like I'm gonna Detroit is a fun young team they've got Cade like that's not a terrible loss at Portland that's a really tough win like Portland I think you could say is probably one of the tougher places to win the league just because it's like unless you're coming from California it's a long ass plane ride from pretty much anywhere and they always have a good fan base and stuff so you know they're not these are not terrible losses but 
Um, I mean, stats wise, like he's looked great. I think, again, I think it's opened up everything else. Like I was talking about earlier with Van Vliet is they have so much interior presence now that the shooting just opens up and Trent has benefited from that a lot too. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's been, been good so far and I'm interested to see when they play some bigger teams, how it works out. I think that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, Milwaukee is probably going to flambe him, but that's just because Giannis is unstoppable at this point. Like they've Milwaukee's had a weird year. We agree, but they've also haven't had their whole team since opening night. So <laughs> I think I'll reserve judgment on Milwaukee for now. Um, let's touch on Gary Trent real quick, because again, I want to save Scotty for last because he fascinates me. Gary Trent has been like a chucker <laughs> since he got to Toronto pretty much, but it's worked for him. I mean, he's making 35% of his threes right now, and that's about league average. And he's been a really impactful, like, he's a lot better on the ball than I thought he was ever going to be in Portland. And I, I really think, like, they're not going to miss Norm that much because Trent can do a lot of the stuff that Norm does, and he's bigger than Norm. <laughs> yeah, that was, man, that was definitely my favorite trade last year because it works really well for both teams. Like, Earlier in the season, I was saying, man, Gary Trent is really good. I think you could probably get away with trading McCollum because this guy's so good. Trade McCollum for like another wing and Gary Trent easily can be your starting two. And then they traded him for Powell. And it's like, okay, I guess that kind of satisfies it where they get another wing anyway, but they still have McCollum. So it's, you know, that's still another problem to solve. But getting him in Toronto – it was it was nice because like because Norm is one of my favorite guys in the league too. I just love watching him, and Gary Trent has become one of those guys for me too. So having them in the same trade was kind of fun for me. And Gary Trent last year was not good with Toronto, but as we talked about pre pod, it just seems like these Toronto guys once they get in a training camp, it's just a whole another level. And you can see that with Trent, man, he's comfortable, and yeah, he's chucking it, but. He's he's putting a lot of them at the bottom of the net. I mean, he he's just really good. And yeah, he's definitely gotten a lot better on the ball too. And I, I he's just he's gotten better, man. Like I loved him last year and I think he's he's gotten a lot better. And again, I just think this whole starting lineup is just really meshes well together. And you know, it's it's interesting because again, they're trying Siakam at the five. They've got a rookie in there, and then they've got a, a guy in Gary Trent that's pretty much you know, the first year there. So it's, it's been meshing pretty well so far. Again, they, they have a pretty balanced shot diet. And I think part of that is because they're playing so many minutes that helps a lot too, because <laughs> their bench again is just not that great. But I mean, I, I just have loved watching him. I think he's the perfect fit with all of these guys and I'm excited to continue watching him. I am too. Um, let's go ahead and move on to our favorite Scotty Barnes. <laughs> this dude, man, like if we did a redraft and I know it's 15 games into their career, so it's probably not fair, but it's looking like the top three in whatever order would be Cade Mobley and Barnes. Like this dude can just play basketball and he's much improved as a shooter. Sam Bassini said he was a no level scorer <laughs> at, um, 
at Florida State. And now he's averaging 16 points a game. He's leading all rookies in scoring so far. He's shooting 51% from the field. He's making 79% of his free throws on three attempts a game. 8.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, a steal, and half a block a game. I mean, Dylan, this dude is just a basketball player, and he's good right away. That's so rare for a rookie. Yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting because when I first started watching him, everyone was hyping him up. I'm like, all right, let's see what this is all about. And you watch a game from Scotty Barnes. It's like, okay, that was a nice play right there. All right. You know, he strings together five or six nice plays that you kind of remember. And it's like, you know, there was nothing super memorable from Scotty Barnes. Like, I don't really see the hype. And then it's like, oh, he had 24 points that game. He, he's just like very quietly awesome. Like, he's never going to pop on the page. And I think that's something as a, as a basketball fan you kind of expect when there's a lot of hype around someone. Like with Mobley, you know, he's going to make one or two massive blocks a game and maybe get a couple great dunks. Like, there's stuff you remember about him. Cade Cunningham is going to have an awesome step back three and a great pass. And that's stuff that's like, okay, I see this. Scotty Barnes, he just, like, fits into everything. Like, he's – he just does pretty much everything well, except for shoot. Like he's, he's just a very quiet player, but at the, by the time the end of the game comes, it's like, Oh my God, this guy had 18 and eight. It's like, you don't even really remember it. And I think that's, that's really impressive that a player can, can put up numbers like that and have that kind of an impact and not really ever pop on the screen. Because again, we get so used to, to these big splashy plays from guys, but the guys that can make these really quiet plays and just be awesome. Like those are guys that stick around in the league for a long time. Cause they're just like fundamentally sound players. And, you know, Scotty Barnes, like it was kind of hard to expect much on offense from him. Cause as you said, like he wasn't much of a offensive player in college. Like he made, he made some good passes and all that. But he wasn't much of a shooter, and there were some other questions about his offense. But, yeah, he went fourth overall. So, it's it's been fun watching him, and he's just fit in so well. And he kind of – when I see him out there, he almost reminds me of, like, of OG. He's like OG Jr. almost, where, like, sometimes it's like, oh, there's OG with the ball. It's like, oh, wait, no, that's Scotty Barnes. Like, they, they kind of had started from a similar path, and – I mean, as we were talking about earlier, the way OG has exploded, I mean, it's hard not to expect the same thing from Scotty Barnes. It's really, it really, it's crazy because he was not projected to be a jump shooter at all coming into the league. And to be fair, he's not shooting threes, but he's making 43% of his mid-range shots. Like, that's really... For someone who is projected to not have a jumper at all, he's making contested ones too. It's not like he's just taking like wide open mid-range jumpers. They're contesting him now and he's still making them. And it's just crazy how skilled he is. I mean, the passing is just out of this world. Precious Achua, I like him a lot, but he's a black hole. (laughs) There was one play where Precious tried to dunk over like three guys. And he had Trent and Van Vliet both open on the weak side. Scotty Barnes got the rebound off of his miss and he just... He made this is the thing about Scotty. You're right. It's not flashy stuff, but he makes the right pass. And that's so underrated. Like just knowing the right pass to make, it's almost like it's he's got like the Marcus Gasol passing gene where it's like it's not flashy, but the ball gets to where it needs to go. And it's either a hockey assist or assist. And he just is really intelligent on the floor. 
um, the defense. He was guarding Dame yesterday. Like they were starting him on Dame and he's not ready to guard Dame yet because he's not strong enough. He's not, you know, fast enough, but that's okay. He's like 19 <laughs> and they're asking him to guard Dame, which is insane. So this dude is going to be a problem for years to come. I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch him. Yeah. I mean, again, like as soon as they drafted him, it's like, I mean, I, I was wanting Suggs to go there only because I actually watched Suggs a good amount. And I thought Suggs and Van Fleet would be really good together. But as soon as they got Barnes, I'm like, okay, this is going to be one of the best defenses in the league this year <laughs> because we've already talked about Van Fleet's defense. We already know Siakam's a good defender. We obviously know OG's a good defender. You throw, you know, potentially the best or the second best defender in the draft in this lineup right away, and it's going to be just a mess. And I actually haven't – I need to see what their defensive numbers are looking like right now. But, they, I mean, they've been giving up points, and I think partially it's because – I mean, having to play so many minutes probably doesn't help them. You know, there's a lot of tired – you can tell they're kind of tired at the end of games. Yeah, they're not – they're 21st in defense right now, so it's something that's going to work itself out, I think. But And Siakam missed some time too, so that didn't help. But, yeah, I just – I love the cohesion in this unit, and and – they all just the, – all the pieces fit so well together. And I think on both sides of the floor throughout the season, we're going to see them mesh even more. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Siakam missing the first 11 games and missing all the training camp, that hurts. But I think that once he comes back and he's at full strength on defense, like he's a terror on defense. He just – he is. Like he – with his movement and stuff, I'll be curious to see what it's like with him playing center because he's never – played center over an extended stretch. Like he's mostly been a power forward with like Draymond small ball kind of thing. But with Scotty and OG and Fred and Pascal, that's like a solid foursome right there. And Trent's not bad either. So you get those five gelling together and you add, like you have that Goran Dragic salary to just trade. Like, and you can throw in a first round pick someone's way if you want to get better. Or if you just want to like stagnate this year and maybe get like a the 14th, 13th pick or whatever, you do that too. Maybe try to get Jaden Ivey or something like that. You never know. I think that there's a lot of different ways this Raptor season can go. And I think that I'll be really curious to see what they try to do the rest of the year. Like I said, they have that really rough road stretch coming up. They've lost five of six, like you said. So I think if they can come back to Toronto, like, 10 and 10, or wait, let's see. So they go at Utah, at Sacramento, at Golden State. So that's five games. So if they go three, yeah, 10 and 10 would be reasonable. Coming back to Toronto on November 28th, I think this team, I think they can really make the plan, and I think they can maybe make some noise in the plan. Yeah, I mean, I really, I do think they're one trade away from doing something big. And I mean, getting Brunson is like a dream. I think that probably is a reach. You would have to maybe give up more than a – you'd have to give up like a young guy in a first, I would think. But, I mean, Fultz is interesting because Cole Anthony is definitely the guy I'm going to eat crow on this year because I just thought he sucked last year. Like, I, I thought – I'm like, I just don't see it with this kid. Like, he's probably going to shoot 39% from his first career, and he's just been awesome this year. He's been, you know, better than Suggs, which surprises me too. 
Um, but yeah, those, those two are definitely the guards of the future, I guess, for the, the magic and Fultz, you know, it's amazing what an injury can do for you. You know, you miss some time and all of a sudden someone takes your job. But I think Fultz would be a really interesting guy. Cause I really, I think, I mean, I think Drogic in a first, like that feels perfect. You know, that feels like the perfect trade for the, the magic. Cause the magic don't care. They're going to, they want to get picks and you know, they, they do have some nice young guys. So if they can get a couple of first round picks next year, including their own, obviously they're, they're an interesting team. And, Fultz is still a guy where we don't know a ton about him. Like there's still some mystery to him and he's definitely looked better in Orlando, but I do think giving him the keys to like the Raptors bench would work out well. Cause you pair him with some shooting. Cause he's definitely like an, in, an inside out guy. He likes to get to the rim and, and kind of play in the paint a little bit. He would be an interesting fit. I mean, you pair him with some of the shooters they have and it would be nice for them to maybe get another shooter as well. Because, I mean, Steve Mikhailuk is, is fine. Like, I think that could be someone that, that's decent for your bench. If you can get him out there with, like, another guy in Fultz or just some other good backup guard, I definitely think that their prospects for the play-in look a lot better. They definitely would. Um, Shout-out to Malachi Flynn, who is just not there yet, but that's okay. Um, he still is only in his second year, so there's still time. Um, I think that's it for everything we wanted to touch on, Dylan. This is a little longer than our last couple, but that's okay because we had a lot. We talked about the cyber thing, so I think that added on a little bit of time. But um, make sure you buy Dylan Hughes' book. Um, it's from one young soul to another, correct? I finally got that down without looking. That's the first one. That's the first one. What's the second one? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure finding happiness in a fear-driven world. There we go. All right. You know what? I don't deserve to do a, a threat this week if I don't even know the name of the book. I own it, but... <laughs> hey, you can buy the first one, too. I have no problem with that. I bought the first one, so I have both of them, but... <laughs> yeah, buy both of them. Make Dylan Hughes a little bit richer, but um, make sure you check out... Damn, um, I'm just waiting to get that from Will, but as soon as I get that, that'll be going up. Um, how was that episode? It was good. Um, we tried a little different style because we had a guest, uh, his friend Allie, and we did it a little different where we didn't have her as we discussed the songs. We just did me and Will with the songs. We kind of wanted to do it a little differently where we had some bigger overarching question with the guest. Um, and she was good. I mean, she loved Dan and she's been pining to get on the pod as long as you had for to pimp a butterfly. So she, uh, she did a good job. And it was it was a good discussion. And uh, yeah, we're going to I still got to decide who I'm going to we're going to do next. I think I have an idea, but nothing's finalized yet. Who, what, what genre are we thinking? What genre are we thinking? Well, I'm thinking the guy I'm I'm thinking about is a is another bluegrass guy, which that's a pretty big spoiler to anyone that listens. I think they would be able to figure that out. But hey, you know, nothing's final yet. So we'll see nothing's final um make sure you check out that as soon as i get that out um circle city cinema last week zach and i discussed one of my favorite movies spider-man into the spider-verse lynn sanity last week dylan i told you i was gonna crash um lynn sanity and say that the niners should fire kyle shanahan who then proceeds to go and beat la in (laughs) so i mean maybe i don't know what i'm talking about but (laughs) listen if he finishes under 500 this year my point still stands 
And then, um, yeah, that's about it for the Running Hook Podcast Network. Again, our teams for the next time we convene, which will be two weeks from now, um, will be the Nuggets, the Heat, and the Pistons. So a lot of East teams, we really have to balance this out because I think we just, we're just we having a lot of um, East on this podcast, but we'll, we'll, that'll even out as the season goes along, but Dylan Hughes, this was a, this was a long one, but a great one. Thank you so much for joining me, pal. Thank you. Thank you.